to begin by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we gather today. And I pay my respects to their elders, past and present. I extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples here today. Hello and welcome to another episode of Inspired by Yarra. This is a podcast that's been created to enhance, connect and inspire the Yarra Valley Grammar community and beyond. So wherever you're listening from today, I want to thank you for tuning in. My name's Paul Joy and I'm delighted to welcome you aboard this journey. Today we present to you another conversation with a Yarra old grammarian, a yog. We're going to track some of their memories from their time here at school. And today we're talking with James Simpson from the class of 2005. Perhaps unsurprisingly, spent some time in the music area of our school, both on stage and in rehearsal, and has gone on since leaving Yarra to do incredible things in and within and for the music industry. He was a great musician while at school and he's gone on to have an impact often behind the scenes, sometimes playing, sometimes leading, sometimes directing orchestras and bands, particularly in musicals, which is a fascinating journey that we get to explore together today. We'd love you to share this episode. Share it now if you like, or wait till the end and then share it with somebody else who might also enjoy this conversation with James Simpson from the class of 2005. Welcome back to another episode of Inspired by Yarra, where we get to sit down with a yog, a Yarra old grammarian, and we're just going to kind of fumble our way around the challenges, the adventures, the trips and turns and opportunities that life at a school such as Yarra offers. And today I'm going to sit down with James Simpson from the class of 2005. James, welcome and thanks for joining us. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. James, can you uh, give us a bit of an insight into when, in terms of what year level, did you start at Yarra? Uh, oh, I have to think about this. I joined, I came to Yarra halfway through grade five. So I think that was 1998. Yeah, that was, sorry, I had to think about it. that. was like year seven, 2000. So yeah, not, halfway through 1998, I joined, came to the junior school. So you've had a taste of our junior school, middle school and senior school, uh, yes. which, you know, not, not everybody gets to uh, experience all of those. Uh, I wonder if you can recall whether it be your connection with either of those schools, but particularly a location, a place. Is there a memorable place, a place you like to hang out or where did you spend a lot of time when you were at Yarra? I think, I think that's a really easy guess. Uh, it was definitely the music school. I think very quickly I was there all the time. <laughs> right, right. So even as a as a young lad in uh, year five, were you attracted to the music school then? Yeah, and I think that's part of what made me go to Yarra was, I mean, I'd been playing piano since I was six. Um, I was very musical and the music school was definitely a huge feature of why I came to Yarra. And not long after I came to Yarra, actually, the music school kind of sussed me out and started um, looking at me to pick up other instruments. Um, so I think, I think either in grade five or grade six, I started playing the trombone. Uh, and then in year seven, as part of the music program, I've started playing the viola as well. And I played both of those all the way through, um, high school as well. So they kind of sussed me out and went, right, we, we've got some gaps in our instruments. <laughs> James is musical. Let's throw some at him, see what sticks. 
Excellent. And is is that a is that a thing in terms of if you've got a, a good base of music knowledge, music, music theory, being able to read music, and and you've got a you know um, some tone within your voice or your you know your hearing that you can relatively easy turn your hand to another instrument? Yeah, well, it's it takes away the aspect of having to learn to read music, especially as a piano player. As a piano player, you, you learn treble clef and bass clef. You're actually learning two different ways of reading music, I guess, to put it simply, which then means that it's much easier to pick up other instruments because you already understand how to read music. You understand notes, you understand rhythms, you understand pitch, all that kind of thing. It's just learning the actual technical aspects of playing the instrument. Um, and and I know yeah. the parents out there will understand this question, and and it might be similar for you too. But we, as a parent, you you never meant to choose your favourite child, and rightly <laughs> so. You play a number of instruments. Do you have a favourite? I mean, it's it's that's easy. It's it's definitely piano, and that's just because that's what I've played. Like I I can't remember a time when I didn't play the piano in a way. Um, yeah, it's that's and that's that's what my whole career has been based on has been piano essentially so 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 when you're in year five you you enjoyed piano they saw they identify they go oh yes this this young lad's got some talent we think he's got potential and then they've given you the opportunity to explore some other instruments and were there any that really didn't stick for you that you can remember yes they tried a few out I think what did they give I think they wanted me for French horn because there was they were lacking in French horns in um the senior school, and unfortunately, I just wasn't very good at French horn. I think my lips are too big. You need quite fine um, lips for French horn. The embouchure is quite small. And then we tried. I know I tried a trumpet. I tried clarinet, and it was it was sort of trombone that I went. Oh, okay, yeah, this kind of this kind of works. Fantastic. And and did you enjoy the rehearsal side of music or the performance side of music while you're at school? I think both. I think. I mean, I especially by the time I was in senior school, I was in so many rehearsals a week for various ensembles that that was, that was just something I enjoyed doing. And do you still enjoy rehearsal today or do you not need to anymore? Um, well, it's, rehearsal's a weird thing now because when I, when I work on a show, you're in, you're in really intensive rehearsals for about so up to six weeks and then you you get out of the rehearsal room and go to the theatre and everything kind of shifts, like even, even your hours shift. Like if you're rehearsing a show, you're working probably 10 till 6, Monday to Saturday. And then suddenly once you move in the theatre, everything moves back so you're not doing mornings anymore and you go into this much more kind of, for me anyway, um, usual timetable of sort of 1pm until 11pm kind of thing. So those those rehearsal weeks are fun, that that, that experience of, of discovering the show Um both cast and creative team. That's that's a really intense but really enjoyable experience, and then you sort of get into the show itself. Yeah, great. So one. I'm going to come and get you to help me fill in the gaps in a moment. But let's go from you know grade five and then junior middle school and and music and trying instruments and enjoying the rehearsal and the performance while you're at school. Let's leapfrog a whole bunch of years to today. What is your role and involvement in music right now? Um, so I've worked now for the last kind of five years in the musical theatre world. Um, I sort of, I spent, I mean, I'm sure we'll go back to this. I spent a lot of time overseas and did a lot of stuff around there and sort of took, took some time to figure out where I wanted to be, but I ended up 
my first big professional job was, well, first big major commercial job was working for Disney. I joined the last tour of The Lion King. That when I, I did, I did that in Melbourne and Perth. Then I was offered to join the original Australian production of Aladdin, which I did for about two and a half years. Uh, Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, Perth, Auckland, and then most recently I came off um, the, the most recent tour of Chicago that we did the East Coast, Sydney, Brisbane, Melbourne. Um, and my job within that has always been as a member of the music department, uh, first as an assistant music director and then uh, as an associate music director. And to sort of explain how that works is any musical, it will have a music director. And the music director is the one who's responsible for the music in the show. So that's whether that's the cast vocals, they're singing, or the orchestra. Um, and you're basically there to make sure that everyone is doing the music part of the show the way it's meant to be done, as well as they can be and maintaining it throughout however long the tour goes for. And that's a big job, um, especially when you're dealing with like, I don't know, 30 cast and an orchestra of 15 musicians or something. Um, so you often have an assistant music director. And in some shows, well, all the shows I've done so far being big enough, you have a third member of that department, the associate, who kind of slots in in the middle. So you have music director, associate music director, assistant music director. And basically you're all just there working together to keep the show going. Um, so the music director is generally the one conducting the show, whether that's on the podium or some shows, the conductor actually plays a keyboard as well. Um, and the associate and the assistant are generally playing in the orchestra as well, generally piano or keyboard. But for me, what that also means is I might play keyboard one in the band or the orchestra, but one or two shows a week, the music director will actually not conduct the show because they'll go out into the auditorium to take notes or they might be in the music office um, doing various admin. There's a lot of admin that's involved in always making sure you're covered. You've got enough musicians if someone's taking a show off because they're sick or have a prior commitment or something, you're covering that. Um, so I'll conduct the show. So in a way, I actually have to know how to both play a keyboard in the, in the orchestra, maybe two keyboard parts in some cases and then also be able to get up and then conduct the show as well and then on top of that you're also doing rehearsals during the week because even once the show's up and running you're still rehearsing your understudies your swings um just ba basically making sure that you're always covered the show can always go on basically yeah so you do everything you possibly can to ensure that it happens because it's very rare that you i, mean, I think i've only ever had to be involved. I've only ever been involved in one cancelled performance for a major set failure, which was pretty unfortunate. Um, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I, I I love this insight that you've just given us into um, the behind the scenes, really. Of you know, I, I mean, I love the glitz and the glamour. The the curtains open, the lights come on, the the band plays, the 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 lead gets out there and sings and and acts and performs and they dance and they twist and turn and all of the fun of live theatre. But you've you've got a perspective on it that most of us, while we're aware of it, we actually don't really understand it. We're just thankful that it happens, and that's your job, isn't it, to make sure it happens? Yeah, as as and much as you I, can without us knowing. Yeah, and that's the thing I've I've, I've said to a lot. Of, I've said to a lot of people, if you were to stand backstage in a theater and watch a show, it's a it's a show of its own. Um, and even even for me, actually, that's something that I don't I don't see as much because if you're in an orchestra pit even if you're on the podium, you're still kind of seeing the show from, from the front. You're closer up for sure, but front around. And I think one of the best things I ever did when I was on Aladdin was I was actually scheduled to not come in one day because I'd been doing some extra rehearsals on our days off. And I said, you know, what? I'm going to come in anyway. 
And I stood in the wings and watched the show. And this is, I've been doing the show for two years by this point. And watching in the wings, I was absolutely floored by how busy it was watching a cast member come off and throw a prop to someone and grab another prop or change a costume in like 10 seconds. It was just, it was amazing. What people honestly could never imagine just how crazy it is backstage watching a show and yet how seamless it then seems from the front. That's still, that always amazes me. And I mean, my dad will tell you when I was a little kid, um, he was quite heavily involved in Scouts Australia and we used to go to the gang show that used to happen at the National Theatre in St Kilda. And after the show, I would always want to go back and, and look up at into the flies and look at all the rigging and the lights and everything. I was just fascinated by that backstage world and still am kind of in a way. And you're still fascinated by it? Yeah, it's still, I think walking into a theatre is still kind of an amazing experience for me, I think. And every even and that was one of the great things about doing Chicago is... If anyone has seen Chicago, the band are actually on stage. And that's what I love. That's why I've always wanted to do that show um, because you actually get to be on stage. You get to see it from the cast perspective. Like I could sit at my piano in the in the bandstand and look out at the audience. And if I when I conducted the show, I had dialogue to say. I had to turn around and say lines and interact with cast. And that was just, it was a, that was a lot of fun. That was something, it was kind of a bucket list show for me. So I was very grateful to get the chance to do it i love that i love that and and look just for my own uh, enjoyment and uh, the opportunity that i have to to speak with you now is is a delight so thank you and we will come back oh, to school in a moment but tell me what does it take as a professional musician to i think you just said that you played in a show and you might play it for like a couple of years is that right is that you're, you're playing the same thing yeah Yep, you're doing that same performance eight times a week for... I mean, there, there are people who in the bands of, I know, like Phantom of the Opera and the West End or Broadway who have... They've played that one show for 20-plus years. Um, the, di- the difference there, though, is that on Broadway and the West End, you're actually... Because shows run so long there, they have, law, they have musician union rules that to keep your seat, as they call it, to keep your chair, you have to play 50% of shows a week or more but you can actually take shows off um, and go do other things. And that's how they keep musicians working. Because, I mean, this is the thing. Being a musician is a precarious industry at best. So that's why a lot of musicians end up doing musicals because especially in those in those um, Broadway and West End kind of worlds, you can get very long-term employment. Um, so it's great to have a sort of like you can do four or five shows a week that you're guaranteed and then you can go and do maybe some other stuff that's, play some play music that you you really like playing like I know there are Broadway musicians who go and do jazz gigs every now and then or you know uh, instrumentalists who go and do a classical gig or whatever um it's a bit harder to do that in Australia because we don't have as large a market but yeah it, it does take a certain level of having to enjoy playing the same thing I mean it is different for me just because I might do six shows on the keyboard but then two conducting and that 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 variation is enough to keep it interesting um, and also when you're touring Australia with a show, you, you pick up a new orchestra in each city. They don't tend to tour the whole orchestra. You might tour a drummer maybe, but essentially it's just the music department who tour. So you actually keep working with other musicians. And that's, that's really nice too. I, I know musicians all around the country now really well from that. And it's always nice when you go back with another show and you're like, oh, you're, you know, seeing the same people again. That's, that's always fun. 
Yes, yeah, that's that's fantastic. And and as you say, you've got to enjoy the repetition and and almost the grind of it. But I also recognise the value of mixing it up every now and then, and and maybe playing it as you say a different genre of music. You know, from a mm. from working on a musical, then going and playing something you know, in a jazz club or something like that, just to keep yourself fresh, I guess, is the intention yeah. behind that. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, right. I love that. We're speaking with James Simpson from the class of 2005 and we're just tracking through some of his uh, his musical career as as a uh, an associate director in musicals largely. James, amongst those that you've worked with most recently, those Disneys, are there, is there one that is your favourite and why? Is it because of the complexity of it or because of the story of it or because of the, the combination of instruments that and sound that you produce together? Can, can you have a favourite? Um, I don't think I have a favourite because I've, I've been fortunate that I've never done a show that I hated. Um, I've never done a show that I went, oh, I only did that for the money kind of thing. Um, out, out of Lion King, Aladdin, and Chicago, I don't think I could pick a favourite because all three of them had something that I really loved. I mean, Lion King's just an incredible piece of theatre, full stop. Um, for anyone who's seen that, I mean, the puppetry is amazing. The design is amazing. The music is incredible. Um, also, I mean, just the African percussion element of it, like everything about that score is quite remarkable. And um, I certainly, every time I ever conducted that or played that, I just went, this is, this is just amazing. Aladdin is a very different show, but Aladdin's a much more kind of old school Broadway musical comedy, but done in a very contemporary way. And, I think even with that, even after two and a half years, I'd still get on the podium and look at it and just go, this is just so well put together and designed. And then Chicago is hands down one of the best musicals ever written. And that particular staging of it is also incredible because it's so sparse. It's literally an empty stage with a bandstand and everything happens on the bandstand and very simple props and very simple costume, but it's so effective. Um, yeah, there were all there were three shows that I, all, I feel very lucky to have gotten to do them um yeah i it, it yeah it's it's funny looking back at that I'm, i mean i've done plenty of other smaller shows as well that i think one of the, i did a when i lived i lived in london for a while and i worked on a new musical over there which is a very different thing it's 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 one thing to work on an established show because when you work on an established show like lion king aladdin or chicago you're putting up a show that's already been created in all those cases in new york so you have you actually have all the american resident creatives come out to teach you the show um it's not it's, we don't do our own version it's the americans come out and they they're in rehearsals and they teach us how to do it and then once the show's open they go back home and we're in charge of maintaining it to that standard um, whereas working on a brand new show you're creating it from scratch and i did this chamber musical which is which was based on an emile zola novel called therese racan which is this very depressing <laughs> french book um, I won't go into the plot because it's very, very depressing, but that was an incredible experience because it was kind of the opposite of working on these big shows. It was very small, very chamber, very intimate, but because I had such a part in shaping it, I worked very closely with the composer um, in working out the vocal arrangements and working out the orchestration for the for the small ensemble that played it, and that was... That was amazing. I still, I have a, we, we have a cast recording of that show, which I was, which is very rare to get. You don't get cast recordings done very often, so that was quite... Um, special to have that experience of creating something brand new. 
What fascinates me is your ability to recall uh, the detail, the level of detail, and, and some of these things you've been part of, you know, years ago, and yet there's a passion and an enthusiasm and, I guess, a, a real genuine love for the craft of what you're doing. And, and, and maybe, maybe anybody who's passionate about what they do can speak so fondly and so detailed about it, but it, it, it intrigues me that although there's a lot of the same, the same, you know, you rehearse, you do the hard work, and then you perform, and the next day you perform again and, and oh, golly, the next day you're performing exactly the same thing again. And yet in the midst of that, there is a, yeah, just a wonderful warmth and enthusiasm that is quite contagious. And, and I guess that's what, as a performer, you're trying to exude to the audience, to the listeners, to the um, those who are caught up in the experience. And, and if you're playing and directing and leadership is anything the way, similar to the way you are speaking right now, then... You're obviously very good at what you do. Well done. Oh, thank you. I mean, you, you certainly have moments where you where it you do. I think anyone who works on a show for that amount of time, you it's 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 peaks and troughs. You'll have some days you'll be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm doing this. I'm so lucky. I love them. Then other days you'll come in and just be like, oh, do we have to? But there is something that about once once that the oh, this sounds very cliche, but sort of once the lights go up and you start, there is something that you just sort of snap into focus and. You do it, um, even if it's the last thing you feel like doing, because there is deep down that going, aren't I lucky to be doing this? Um, yeah, I think that's still... I, I was always someone... I, I, I hate doing a bad job of anything. Um, sort of my inherent perfectionism is, even if I it's the last thing I want to do, I still would... I'd feel worse if I went out and went, oh, I did a bad job. I'd hate that. because And this is something we say to cast all the time. The show might be old for you, but it's potentially brand new for everyone in the audience. They, none of them have necessarily ever seen this show before. So why would you give them anything less than the best? Um, yeah. And you sort of have to hold on to that and go, Oh, that's right. They haven't seen the last 200 performances that we've done of this. That's right. And, and you a hundred percent right in, in regards to every day, you've got to come up and, and find the drive, the motivation to give your best. And, and look, yeah. I think you're right in, in all pursuits in all jobs or roles, there's probably going to be those days or those moments of a day that, that you know, it's not your favourite thing to be doing, but there's something hopefully for most people, and, and I guess we are very fortunate if we're in the type of role where most days we're pretty pretty grateful for being where we are and doing what we're doing. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's good. I wonder whether you might just speak for a moment on uh, the notion of team and relying on other people, because you know, often you know, any analogies around that would probably refer to sport. But I gather that there's a reliance on your teammates in the music industry too. Yeah, yeah, and I this, uh, that makes me think of something a uh, a mentor once told me when I lived in the UK. I had a mentor who was an Australian who'd lived moved over to London and he's conducted Phantom and Les Mis and all those big shows on the West End. And he said to me. Being a music director is 10% music and 90% people management. Um, just because, yeah, your, your job is so much about working with other people. It's, it's, it's a leadership role, but it's still about, it's about getting the best from other people, whether that's getting the best performance out of the cast or the best sound out of the orchestra, or you have to work with all the other heads of department. So there's the resident director and the resident choreographer and costume and sound and lighting. You're just working with everyone to get 
the best result for the show because at the end of the day it's it's the show that is the most important thing and making it the best it can be um and i think what's because i as obviously i was very heavily involved in music era i was very heavily involved in drama at yarra as well um and they're they're both team exercises and i think the difference with sport is sport you're united because you're trying to beat someone else you're all working together and that the aim is to beat the other team. Whereas music and drama, you're not trying to beat anyone. It's actually about doing the best you can as a team without then trying to also best someone else, which is just, a, I think it's a subtle psychological difference. Um, but it means that your, yeah, your motives are more about feeling like you did the best job you could as, a, as opposed to as an individual and a group. Yes, you're right. I have not thought of it that way, but there is a different level of motivation perhaps or, or, or base as to why you're doing why you're doing when you're a performance-based activity like music, trying to perform for an audience as opposed to merely trying to be better than the other. Um, yeah. I appreciate what I, you've, you've offered there. I, I think it's... it's if you ever think of the audience as your enemy, that's not a good thing. Because, and that's this is the thing with live theatre is that the audience are your partners in a way. Even though they're fairly passive, it's it is a two way relationship because your the energy you give to them, hopefully they reflect that back through applause or laughter or whatever. Um, and I, it's it's always funny, especially doing Chicago when I was on stage. It really gave me that insight into. We can, people on stage are very aware of what the audience is doing. It's funny, audiences think, that audiences act like they're at the cinema a lot. You know, they, you can hear people talking, you can hear people singing along, you can hear people rustling, we can see people on their phones. It's very obvious when someone's on their phone because your face lights up and all that stuff. You don't realise, but the amount of conversations we have backstage about, oh, did you see that guy in the third row doing that or whatever? Like, we're very aware of it. So, it's, a, it's very much an active relationship between on stage and an audience, but you want it to be a... Our listening audience here to this podcast um, are probably, and I'm, this is a generalisation, but we're more likely to be sitting in the, the seats watching a live musical performance rather than uh, on stage. So as a performer, as a musical director, what would be your advice or your guidance? How do you be a good member of the audience? I think, like I said, it, it's you're not at a, you're not at the cinema. Um, the people on stage are aware of what you're doing. And look, I understand phones go off. I you forget to turn them off. I get that. Um, I'm I'm I, I never have my phone off silent. Basically, nearly any time in the day because I'm so used to being in a theater. And if you're in a rehearsal and your phone goes off, it's like the worst thing. So, I think it's it's just about um, being respectful that, that that people are working in front of you. And we, we love it when you laugh. We love it when you clap. And that's what we're trying to do is make you authentically, spontaneously feel like that's what, what we want you to do. We don't want you to feel forced to do it, but we're, that's what we... We love hearing that. Um, but, you know, when people are clearly... I, I never understand people who pay so much money to go to a show and then spend the whole thing on their phone or chatting. It just feels like, why, why did you come? <laughs> and also, you're ruining it for people around you. There's nothing worse than being at a show that you're really enjoying, but someone in the row in front of you is like having a continual conversation or on their phone. It's that's 
just un- that's unhelpful. You know, it's 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 a communal activity for the audience as well. Um, you know, basic basic theatre etiquette, I think, is is important. Yes, and so therefore, if we if I can bring that back to to Yarra Valley Grammar, in your time, you would have spent time both in the, I guess in I, I don't mean it to be an audience, but in the audience at, for example, at an assembly. But you've also spent time on the stage at an assembly, perhaps mm. as a performer, maybe as a speaker, maybe as a leader. I wonder if uh, if you can recall any moments, whether you're on stage or in the audience, that really stand out for you. Maybe there was a performance you did and you really nailed it, or maybe there was something that you observed and it really moved you. Can you take us into Ooh. a whether you're in the theatre as a audience member or as a performer? Now, okay, now I have to really test my memory. Um, I definitely remember, I think I must have been grade five or grade six. I remember seeing the senior school musical. I think it was, I think it was Kiss Me Kate. And I remember walking out of there as, as this is when I was in junior school and thinking, I want to be doing that. I want to be doing that in senior school. Um, there was certainly, yeah, a lot of the, a lot of the school shows I saw when I was in my first years at Yarra, I really, that really stuck out to me. Um, I think the fact that at Yarra we had the George Wood Performing Arts Centre, hands down, that was one of the most incredible things for me. Um, obviously, as I said, I spent a lot of time in the musical, but I spent a lot of time in the PAC as well. And what was so remarkable about having that facility was not just performing there, but I, I would be in the sound box at the back of the dress circle. I, I had a very good relationship with Paul, who I believe still works there. Yes, he does. Um, yes. Uh, he would let me come in there and look at all the equipment and operate things. Um, you know, when I was, I did VCE drama and we did lots of shows. We used like the reverse configuration where you put the curtain in and the audience sits on the choir rises and we'd program the lighting ourselves. I learned how to operate a basic lighting board, basic sound design. Like I did so many things that uh, related to theatre through the benefit of having that building as a, as a playground in a way. Um, which again links back to what I said about the fact that I was always interested in the behind the scenes to have that whole theater to explore was, was remarkable. Um, and certainly that's what led me to where I am now, hands down. Absolutely. And, and even if you go right back to those moments where you were as a young boy watching some bigger kids on the stage and then walking out of there thinking, that's what I want to do. That that really is an inspirational moment. That's a pivotal moment in your journey, and and has obviously continued to influence, uh, you know, where you've the choices you've made and the the opportunities you've taken. I wonder whether you might speak also about the academic base that you built while you were at Yarra. You know, yes, music, yes, stage, yes, behind the scenes. What about? What about maths or science or English? Did that matter to you? Did you have a go over? Um, yes, I I did very well in VCE in English um, and maths. I didn't do I didn't do specialist maths because there's there something about I wasn't interested in that aspect. But I I did get a perfect study score in further maths, which I always was quite proud of. But I think there was something about because it was further maths was. Um, about comprehension. It was more about reading a paragraph and being able to identify what you were being asked to do. And that's sort of all, I think the same with English. I was, I was always very into English and 
writing and communication. Um, so those are the kind of aspects that I really was drawn to, um, which still in a way I, they, I mean, there's, de- there's a correlation proven between music and maths. And then with English that t- always tied into drama for me. And so that was essentially what I did in VCE was English, maths, music, and drama. Um, with the addition of some IT as well and something and that, yeah, that kind of was my world. Um, I did enjoy science, but I sort of lost, I lost interest in it as I got further along senior school. Um, but I'm, I've always been a very curious person. Like I'm the type of person who, if I find I don't know something, I'll immediately go and look it up because I want to know. I want to know how everything works. And there's no doubt that curiosity is a, a, a fantastic characteristic that we would certainly even today be still striving to develop in you know young people in students but also in in you know in past students and older people and adults that curiosity is one of those things that i think if you can bring that into every situation every day is uh is you know it's a really powerful force Definitely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I wonder whether you uh, recall a phrase, if I offer this term to you, and, and if you recognise it, tell me what you think it means, and then what does it mean? And the, the phrase is lavavi oculus. It's our school motto. Do you remember what that lift up my eyes. means? Lift up my eyes. What, yeah, what, rem- what did that mean? What does that mean? Um. Yeah, I can I can literally picture reading the little the little blurb in the front of the school diary that we always to get. Um, I loved the way that it was it was chosen in a reference to the fact that you had the view of the mountains from Yarra, um, standing in Foundation Drive, looking at and because so, I grew up sort of near the Yarra Valley, my parents moved out to Kangaroo Ground when I was ten, not long before I'd changed schools. Um, I think for me, it meant sort of what I just said, it's, it was about being curious about looking up and trying to see what something was, trying to understand something. I think a lot of people don't observe things around them. We don't, we don't see, we don't wonder why things are the way they are. And if you, if you lift up your eyes, you're looking at it going, okay, what does that mean? And think, thinking about what that means to you. Um, being engaged with the world and certainly working in theatre, theatre is such a reflection of, of life, really. You go to the theatre to see life reflected back at you in some way, whether that's for humour or entertainment or catharsis or whatever. It's it's about shining a light on, on p- parts of the human experience. Um, and it's also about storytelling and sometimes being lost in the story and, and allowing yourself that moment of you know, drifting or imagination or, or mm. moving to another world. Yeah, and that's what the brilliant thing about theatre is. Theatre can do that with a blank stage and a chair. That's what separates theatre from cinema is that cinema by default actually has to be a much more realistic medium because if something doesn't look realistic on screen, we don't buy it, whereas you can walk into a room and an actor can take you somewhere with nothing but themselves. And I think that's always kind of the, the magical thing. Some of, the, some of the shows I remember seeing as, a, as an adult that have stood out the most to me are the ones that do that with the very mi- minimalist amount of stagecraft. And you go, that was really powerful because they weren't relying on millions of dollars of special effects kind of stuff. Um. James, I wonder whether we might move into a, a 
a quick fire round. I'm going to throw a whole bunch of questions sure. at you. They might be short answer or, or just a sentence or two, but uh, some of them will test you, uh, your memory, and others uh, they'll they'll be easy. Um, what house were you in when you were at Yarra? Hughes, yellow. Were, were they any good back in the day? Oh, I can't really remember. Um, unfortunately, never. And sport, let's just say sport wasn't my area of passion. Um think we won something once but i don't I, that's i don't really remember a lot of that part of it sorry no that's okay that's okay um how did you travel to school what was that experience like uh so uh, for, for the first couple of years my dad used to drive me because he'd drive me to school and then he'd go to his office um in box hill and that was that's also another sort of very vivid memories that because we always used to listen to classic fm abc classic fm because uh, at that stage of my life, I, I was a bit elitist. I didn't like pop music. I didn't like what the other kids were listening to. I was listening to classical music. I sort of went through phases in, as a kid of listening to certain genres. Um, and so I have very clear memories of driving in my dad's car, listening to Classic FM, and we'd drive the Kangaroo Ground, Warrandyte Road, which had these beautiful outlooks over the Yarra Valley. And then winter mornings, there'd be mist out there. And that was, that was what that always was. And then there was a bus service because there were so many Kangaroo Ground-based kids going to Yarra that they bought in a little charter bus I used to get that and then by year 12 I was driving myself great very nice so the kangaroo grand primary school would be the pickup for many yes very good and it's still that same bus still operates today uh, what yes. would you find in your lunchbox on most given days oh oh can't remember any early. I think by year twelve, I used to make my own sandwiches to toast because the year twelve building we had our own little kitchen. So I think I had a lot of toasted sandwiches, but I can't remember pre that what I would have had actually. If uh, given the choice, and you can't say neither, would you prefer house swimming or house athletics? Ooh. Um, <laughs> hmm. Did you go? Oh, yeah. Well, the, <laughs> sorry, I'm laughing. I did, and I ended up spending most of both of those. I was one of the kids who used to type the results into the computers. Ah, good. Yeah, so you still that's, had a role to play. Yes, that's how, I didn't really do much in the way of competing, but I was one of the data entry, and that was uh, that was the IT nerd in me coming out that I quite enjoyed being one of the people who we always – it was the very – I think the head of the – I think the head of IT at the time actually built the program himself – and we used to type the results in and we had to triple check it and then check that all our results matched. Otherwise, we knew that someone had done something correctly. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll say house athletics probably was preferable. But on, yeah. on those results that you're entering in, because on those days, the stakes are high for, for those who are passionate about their house and uh, wanting to do their best. That's their stage, isn't it? Yeah. For sure, for sure. Now, it sounds like your career, your role, has taken you to various parts around the globe, which is a, a, a wonderful opportunity. I wonder if you would suggest a place, a lo a venue, a um, destination that you think, you know, is one that if you had the choice, you'd go back there. Uh, as in to live or just to visit? Just to visit. So somebody else is looking for, the, you know, once eventually we can travel the world again, where where would you recommend people go and have a look at? Oh, Iceland, hands down. Wow. Iceland. Tell me, tell I, me I, two I of there. the things that are great about Iceland. I mean, the landscape is 
other it's it's sort of like you know how New Zealand has an otherworldly look to it. Iceland is the same thing, but much more ice. <laughs> it's just so stark and volcanic and breathtaking. Um, I only spent four or five days there, but that was that was amazing. Um, and apart from that, probably the, probably the Scottish Highlands. I lived in Glasgow for a year, and the Highlands are really quiet. I would love to go back for three months and get a little cottage on the Isle of Skye and just be a hermit. That would be kind of amazing. Fantastic. Fantastic. Um, James Simpson from the class of 2005, what does success mean to you? I think success for me is doing something that makes you happy because I think that's that's fundamentally in the long term more important than money or material possessions or whatever. I mean, that's a very cliche answer again, but I think if I'd, if I'd worried too much about money, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now. And that's not to say that what I'm doing now isn't um, financially not worth it. It's certainly worth doing it when you do it at this level, but you have to be prepared to not be at that level for a long time. Um, and I say this to anyone really who wants to, I mean, I work with a lot of drama students at university level and I kind of often say, if there's anything else you'd be happy doing, do that because the, you have to be prepared to put up with a lot to work in this industry. But if you make it, the reward is worth it because even when you're having the worst day to come in and do the show and feel that buzz from the audience is very uplifting. So in order to harness that buzz and to be at your best is there a habit or a ritual a routine that helps you james to to be at your best i def i got into mindfulness uh, a couple of years ago um because as funny as it sounds i do still get um stage not stage fright i guess there's a just an, an anxiety sometimes especially for me when I am conducting the show, you really are, you are in charge. When you're conducting the show, it's you and the stage manager making everything happen. And it is a lot of responsibility. And it's funny because I always find the, the final five minutes. So you've had your beginner's call and you're in position and there's five minutes till the show starts. That is the worst time. That is the most nerve wracking time, the, the, the anticipation. And then as soon as you start, you're fine. Like the adrenaline kicks in and you just go. Um, but I, yeah, I started just using a mindfulness app um, head called Headspace, which is really great because those little 10 minute meditations, when you are just feeling a bit stressed or a bit overwhelmed or whatever, because working theatre is a very stressful activity. Um, but that, that's really helpful. And I got into that because a few years ago I did a, a, a couple, I did two um, charity concerts actually, because a study came out that showed that, the rate of mental health issues within the theater, the live performance industry was astronomically higher than the general population, just because of the nature of the work we do, the transient nature of it, the impermanent nature of it. And that sort of made me go, yeah, okay, this is, this is a normal thing. It's a, it's, I mean, it's not a, it's not a correct thing. You shouldn't be feeling it. Like we shouldn't have to feel it, but it is normal to feel it in this industry. And therefore it's not something to be ashamed of. And yeah, so I mindfulness really helped. So this podcast is called the Inspired by Yarra podcast, 
and I've really appreciated this opportunity to interact and engage with you. On reflection, I wonder if you can share with us who or what has been an inspiration for you at Yarra. I definitely had, there, I, there are definitely some teachers who to this day I still look back and go, they were the people who really shaped who I became. Um, uh, definitely, I mean, the music staff at Yarra, easily. They all, all of them, I interacted with so many of them and I'm still in touch with some of them and that was really um, important. Uh, my year eight English teacher, Mr. Carroll, Dennis Carroll, he was, he was quite influential. And probably the most of all was uh, the head of drama, Peter Robert, when I was there. Um, Pete, as we called him, he he really encouraged me to just be as creative as I could. Because the thing was, even though I always did music throughout Yarra, I, I always kind of knew that I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be a classical musician. I didn't want to be a, a, an instrumentalist. I knew I wanted to work in theatre. I just didn't quite know how. For a long time, I wanted to be an actor. So I actually ended up studying. I've got two acting degrees. Um, but also just, as I said, the behind the scenes part of that and doing VC drama with, with Peter Robert, he just let all of us just do everything, whether it was lighting design or sound design or whatever. And that, I think he just allowed me to experiment and develop my own creative voice and feel like I could, feel like I could do all of these things. Um, yeah, that was, he, if I, if I think back, he's my, um, dead poet society teacher, <laughs> you know, the one that you go look back and go, that was, he really shaped my life. James, you've been really generous with your time and I have just one question to go and it's sort of a two part question. So I want you to answer the question and then answer the question. And, my question is this, what question did you really want me or hoped that I would ask, but I haven't asked? And then could you answer that question? Maybe it, it may have been something to ask me about my involvement with drama in, at Yarra, actually. Because the funny thing was, as, as when I was a Yarra student, it used to really frustrate me because everyone sort of said, oh, James, he does music. And I always just say, oh, yes, but I actually do drama as well. Again, which was because at the time when I was when I was in late high school, I really wanted to be an actor. Um, and the funny thing was in the end was that I did okay in VCE music, sort of like reasonably well, but not super well, whereas I topped the state in VCE drama. And my drama solo performance made it all the way to top acts the next year. And I kind of came out of school going, I felt a bit validated in a way. Um, not that I wasn't validated, but just I think I always felt like I was having, I was trying to say, oh, but I do more than this. Um, like I said, I, cause I always knew I wanted to work in, in theater and it, it's, it's funny how it took me the best part of a decade after, after leaving Yarra to figure out what I wanted to do. Cause I tried being an actor and then I went, Oh, actually, maybe that's not what I'm best at. I tried doing other things. And then I look at what I'm doing now and go, Oh, that was so obvious. Of course, being this role was, was exactly what you should be doing. It's just funny how I sort of needed to take time to figure it out. Um, but yeah, I mean, the opportunities I had at year, I mean, I, I co-wrote the middle school musical in year eight. I did so much stuff 
through that drama department that it really, the drama and the music department together were just like home for me. That was the, that was the place I felt so at home in the whole, I mean, the whole campus was great. I mean, how lucky are we to have that campus full stop, but the drama and music department were just such wonderful spaces to be in. Yarra Old Grammarian, James Simpson. Thank you. Thanks for your time, for being so generous. Thank you for sharing with us your experiences, both at school and then the many twists and turns that you've been on since then. I appreciate your storytelling. I thank you for your articulation and your genuine honesty. Thank you so much. As you've shared with us and taken us behind the scenes into a remarkable career and for that we are grateful and we stand very proud of you and your achievements your efforts and look forward to following your career long into the future james thank you for your contribution to the inspired by yara podcast oh my pleasure and there you have it what an interesting twist and turn and travel around the world as we've explored with James today. I hope you enjoyed that conversation and perhaps as I mentioned at the beginning of this episode you feel like it would be good to share it. Share it with perhaps somebody else who knows of James or somebody you know who is interested in exploring more in the music industry and some of the insights that James has shared today might be helpful. Thanks for being part of this community with a growing library of conversations with Yogs, Yarra or Grammarians. And I hope you'll join us again next episode where we'll sit down with another Yog and we'll see how they too have been inspired by Yarra. My name's Paul Joy and on behalf of everyone here at Yarra and in particular those who work hard to produce these episodes of the Inspired by Yarra podcast, I want to wish you another day of inspiration where you go out there and make a positive impact in the world around you.